Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians, chapter 1. Um, in the past, I've taken a pause from the sermon series that uh, uh, I was doing to go into our Christmas Advent uh, themes, but given that when I started Colossians, the goal was to be done by Advent, and I'm not even out of the first chapter, I decided to keep going with... Um, with Colossians as planned, um, uh, for s- several reasons. One, it just this it's such a compelling ser- series for me, and um, growing so much myself and study and preparation, and knowing the Lord, and um, and I just want to share that with you as, as often as I can. So we'll look at verses uh, 24 through the end of the chapter in verse 29, and. Um, and then, uh, but we'll be looking primarily at verse 24 today. So we'll read from verse 24 through 29, but uh, spend time just on uh, verse 24 today. So follow along with me. The words will be on the screen for those of you who do not have a copy of the Bible for yourselves. Hear now the word of the Lord through his servant, the Apostle Paul. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together and then consider its meaning. Father, indeed, I pray that you would prepare us for the sufferings that come for those who, with those who serve the name of Christ. In this world and its in its sinfulness and its darkness, it does not love the things of the Lord, including his people. And when we are faithful to live lives unto you in your service, we will receive from the world its wrath, its hatred, its opposition, and we will suffer. But you are with us, you will keep us, you will guide us. You will protect us. And if the worst will come and our lives are taken in the service of, the, of Christ the King, you will bring us to yourself in glory. So ready us, Lord, for what awaits us. Ready us for the, for the present realities of suffering in the name of Christ. May we do so for Christ is worthy. May we love you with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength. Give ourselves wholly to you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul begins this this section with a very strange sentiment. I rejoice in my suffering. Well, if Paul is anything like me, which he's not obviously in this, Suffering is not something I enjoy. I don't, Lori can tell you, when I am sick, I am the sickest person that has ever walked the face of the earth. Um, I am the most miserable person to walk the face of the earth when I'm in misery, and I am 
nothing ever happens to anyone else that is worse than anything that happens to me. So I, I, I don't rejoice in sufferings. I actually don't have much of a, of a taste for it. Um, so I look at what Paul says, and how does he rejoice in his suffering? That, that seems strange. That seems nonsensical. Suffering's a bad thing. Um, and then he goes on, even, even worse, even more confusing. And in my flesh, so in his body, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. All right, there again. So, what, 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 are you, what are you talking about? I thought, Paul, you just got done spending time in the rest of the, in, the, in what preceded this in, in Colossians 1 of the fullness of Christ and the full sufficiency of his finished work to bring about peace, to bring reconciliation of all things. Uh, Christ is supreme and preeminent. How can he be lacking in, any of his in anything in his afflictions? So that's strange. And he does this, his sufferings and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of Christ's body, that is, the church. That's a little bit easier to, to, to manage. We've, we've, we've looked at that already. We've seen uh, Paul... Paul speak of the, the, the body of Christ being the church, the, the, so the assembled body of believers or the, the universal church makes up the, 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 the physical presence of Christ on the earth as the Spirit dwells in us and wherever we are, we bring the, the indwelling Spirit with us and when we gather together, we have a fuller, uh, fuller expression of it and when we go out on mission, we do so in the power of the Spirit and in the, in the, in, in the, in, with, with the Spirit moving us to, to, to serve and to work as Christ's ambassadors. So that makes more sense. So, so we need to go back and say, okay, how can Paul rejoice in his sufferings for the sake of the Colossians? And, more, and then I think the key, and how can he in his flesh, be filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. What can possibly be lacking in Christ's afflictions? It must be noted from the, from the, for, from the start, the word for afflictions here is never used, the Greek word for afflictions here is never used for Christ's redemptive suffering. So in no way can we assume or read into this that, that Paul is saying that there's something about Jesus's cross work, his life, his death, his resurrection, that is lacking, that needs Paul's help. You know, Jesus didn't come and say, listen, I gave you 95%. Now y'all do your part and I'll wait for you to, to finish. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying Christ didn't fulfill all that needed to be filled and Paul now has come to help him along. So that word for afflictions is not used ever for his redemptive sufferings. That is final finished, completed to the uttermost. His proclamation on the cross, his declaration that it is finished was his word and his declaration that all that was necessary to bring about salvation for my people has been completed. There's nothing in the, in the redemptive sufferings of Christ that is lacking. So Paul is not pointing his readers and saying, Jesus didn't quite get it done. There still needed to be some work uh, added to his, to his work. So now what do we mean by his afflictions, his sufferings? Another way of looking at it is to see the word as, as his woes, as his, um, and, and, and it's used elsewhere in that, in that sense, in, that, in, in tribulations, in, 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 um, in, 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 um, uh, and so what, what Paul here is possibly pointing to, and 
And I'll be, I'll be the first to admit that when I came to this text, I, I didn't know how to interpret it. I had an idea that as I studied, I realized that idea is probably not the correct pathway. It's, it's within the range, but it's probably not exactly what he's pointing to. My idea was that, was to think back to when Paul was converted and Jesus stopped him on the road to Emmaus and he approached Paul and said, Paul, you know, at the time Paul was known as Saul, why do you persecute me? Well, Paul was, a perse was persecuting the church. He was, going out, he was going after Christians, arresting them, bringing them to trial, and in the case of Stephen, uh, uh, being there and approving as they were stoning him to death. But Jesus identified so intimately with his church, with his body, that when he approaches Paul, he says, why do you persecute me? And this shows us the great, the, 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 the closeness, the nature of our relationship with Christ, that he has united himself to us and we have united to our, ourselves to him by faith in this mysterious union. And he, when we suffer, when we are persecuted as if he himself is being persecuted. So I thought that's what Paul's saying. My afflictions are Christ's afflictions because I work in the name of Christ. My suffering is, is in his name and for his sake and as an ambassador to him. It's within that realm, but it's not exactly what he's pointing to. What he's pointing to is that in the Jewish mind, and Paul, Paul was Jewish, and the first Christians were, were, were Jewish, and, and so and Christianity came out of Judaism, and, and uh, the, the, the Jewish faith pointed to the gospel, to the coming of Christ the Lord, the Messiah, it's just that the Jews rejected him. But in Jewish thinking, in Jewish in Jewish understanding, there was a, a, there, there was a, a thought or a concept of an of a end time suffering that priests of, of the people of God, the people of God would be so persecuted and assaulted by the, the, the things that in the world that oppose God so satanic forces, uh, sinful man and their, and their opposition to God. You know, remember Paul in, in Colossians says that, you, you know, you were once alienated from God, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Well, those who remain in that state of alienation, hostility in their mind and doing evil deeds, they will rise up against God's people, persecute them, oppress them. And the Jewish mind understood that there was a, there is a reality that, that um, and we'll look at scripture here in just a second, there is a reality that God's people will suffer this way, but that there is a limited, a limited amount of suffering reserved for his people before God brings an end to it. And he, and he brings all, makes all things new at the end. He brings the evil age to an end and issues in an age, a new age, an eternal age of joy and gladness and delight in God's people and security and safety. So, so those were known, that was known as the messianic woes. And we're going to look at some, we're going to look at some, uh, some texts here that point to those of, of the idea, the concept that God's people will suffer under the oppression of, of demonic forces and uh, hostile human forces of those who remain in their sin and their rebellion against God. And so what Paul is saying is that I rejoice that I'm a participant in this for your sake, for 
basically, you know, I, you know there's a, if there's a limited reserve of suffering and I'm going through it for your sake, number one, I'm doing this in order that you would benefit. My sufferings is so that the gospel can come to you. The so Paul had never met the Colossians. We've already discussed this. He's in prison now in Rome. He, he ministered for a time in Ephesus, and we believe that's when, his, um, uh, when Epaphras from Colossae came to hear Paul preach. He was converted, and he came back, and he preached the gospel and they, they, uh, in Colossae, and they, people repented to believe, and the, the Colossian church was formed. And Paul here is saying that in order for me to get to Ephesus and Rome and all the places I've been to, I had to I've had to suffer. I've had to suffer tremendously, horrendously. Like literally at one time he was in a city and the, the authorities were, were chasing him, were hunting for him, and he had to be lowered out of a window in a basket to escape the city. He said that he had suffered shipwrecks, hunger, uh, hunger, thirst. Uh, uh, he had been attacked by wild animals, on, possibly on roadways, on pathways to go into his various ministry destinations. I mean, imagine this. You, you think, I'm on the road towards doing a missionary work in this city, and, on, and God is with me, His Spirit is with me, He's empowering me, He's equipping me, and then I get attacked by wild animals. You might want to say, what's, what's happening? Aren't I doing the right thing? But for Paul, he says, I rejoice in these sufferings for, the, for your sake. They are so that the word of God could come to you. And not only you, but to, to, to the rest of the world that hasn't yet heard the, the gospel. And I'm filling up these afflictions. I am going through them. I am being poured out. I am having all these sufferings heaped upon me for the sake of the body. And I rejoice in these things. I rejoice, number one, because it means I belong to Christ. If I'm going through his sufferings, if I'm going through the sufferings that he said would come to his people, I rejoice in that, for I belong to Christ. I rejoice in that because then now God's people, or, or more and more people can hear the gospel and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and receive the joy and the new life that I've received, and I rejoice in that. And I rejoice in this also because for all my suffering in one sense, it's less for you. I'm bearing it so that maybe you don't have to. There's a limited reserve. The more I bear, the less you have to. And Paul does think that way. He's like a, fa a spiritual father to spiritual sons and daughters. The, the, the harder life has to be for me if it means, if it means better for you. That's, that, I'll take that. And many parents here would understand what that means. I know there are some parents who would much rather their children suffer than they suffer. Uh, um, I wish that were not the case. But there, but there are also, I would say, I would dare say most parents would want them to suffer and their children to have to be avoided that and so and so in one sense that's why why Paul, why Paul rejoices in those things so that's that's kind of the point but let's 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 prove the case let's look into what these I just threw the idea out there but let's prove the case now so go with me to Daniel chapter 12 book of Daniel chapter 12 Look at verses 1 through 3. Nope. Yeah. We read these words. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, 
such, such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to, and those who turn many to righteousness like the, like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So here he's saying that before the end, before the conclusion of all things, there will be a suffering and a time of trouble for the people of God. Since it's more so than there ever has been since this, the people of God were formed. But every one of them will be delivered. Every one of them shall be kept. Now that's the prophet Daniel. Let's, let's go, and I'm only going to three places because I, I, I had to make the choice that if I went through all the details, I would just get lost. I mean, you guys remember a couple weeks ago I read the whole of Romans 8 and all of you said that that was a lot. <laughs> that was a huge detour in, in that. So I understand that. I take, I, take your, um, I take your all's point. Go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Re starting in verse 1, we read this. This is from this is now this before we read the prophet Daniel. Now we read um, from Jesus' own lips. For chap, verse one of chapter twenty-four, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the building of the temple, the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, "You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left left here one stone upon another, and uh, that will not be thrown down." As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying. Tell us when these things uh, will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are but the birth pain, uh, are, are the beginnings of the birth pains. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So you see here this, this understanding of, of intense suffering for the people of God right before the end. right before, and, and it's a limited suffering because Jesus here is saying that their suffering will yield and usher in the end. So there is an end in sight. This end is set by God. Not a one will be lost according to Daniel. And Jesus himself says, all who would persevere will be saved. All those who remain in the faith, all those who keep and hold to the faith, remain secure in Him, though they are suffering. Turn with me now to book of Revelation, chapter 6. <coughs> Revelation, chapter 6. Looking at verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witnesses, that, uh, witnesses they had borne. 
they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number, until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who to be killed as they themselves had been. So in this section, you see John looks, he sees the opening of the, this takes place after chapter four and five in Revelation where they see that where John sees the, the, the throne room of God, as it were, God seated on his throne and the, and, the, and the various angelic classes worshiping him and bowing down to him and singing praises to him. And then a voice cries out, who is, and, and, and God is holding a scroll sealed seven times in his hands. And he asks, who is worthy to open up the scroll and to unfold God's saving purposes is the, is the intent of that. And no one in heaven on earth is found able to open its scroll until... The lion of the tribe of Judah is, is announced as come. And John looks, expect to see a mighty, valiant lion, and instead he sees a lamb as though it were slain. Jesus Christ, though he is mighty and powerful, came humbly and he was slain, and he was found worthy to take the scroll. And he walks up right to the throne, takes the scroll, snatches it, and he is found worthy to open up its seals. And the seals begin to open. And on the fifth seal that, were, that was open, we see this vision of the persecuted church, the martyred church. They're all in the throne of God and they see it and they see and they're crying out to him. Oh, Lord, how long will you avenge our blood? They're not they're not asking for God. Hey, listen, this guy cut my head off. I want you to do him and his family and don't, you know, let him have it. They're, they're crying out for the glory of God to be displayed. They're crying out for God's for God's justice to reign, for justice is good, uh, done rightly. Justice done in equity and fairness and in, and in righteousness is a good to come into earth. And so the martyrdom of the, of the people of God is an injustice, a crime against the living God. And they cry out, please, Lord, will your justice come and bring vengeance for our death and our suffering? And they are told, wait just a little longer until the full number of your brothers and sisters comes in. That tells us several things. It tells us, number one, that, that, uh, that, that Christians will suffer. Christianity is not an invitation to an easy, smooth life. It's a life of suffering. But it also tells us that our suffering is limited by God. God has put a cap on what we will experience. There is a number in his mind. He is not paying, playing fast and loose. I say this all the time, but he does not pay, play fast and loose with his, with his people. Their lives are given according to his plan in order for the joys of the nations, in order that as many people can know, many people trapped in the darkness in the prison of false religion or no religion uh, without, who are lost and without hope in this world, God sends his people into the world to suffer in order that they would have hope proclaimed to them in order that they could cry out and call upon the name of the Lord for their salvation. And not one life, not one drop of blood or sweat or a single tear falls to the ground of God's people apart from his will and his purposes for their good and the joys of the people and his glory. And he says to them, wait just a little longer. Wait until the full measure of your brothers and sisters are slain. God is, again, he's not, he's not 
He's not just being flippant. He's like, let's see who, let's see how many mamas I can make cry today. Let's see how many wives I can widow today. Let's see how many children I can orphan today by snuffing out their parents or snuffing out their spouses. He's not doing that because he's just some sort of uh, masochistic maniac who just loves watching his people suffer. He loves a lost world. He came to seek and to save the lost in the person of his son, Jesus, who died willingly on the cross for a sinful, rebellious humanity. He died taking their sin upon himself as the wrath of God was poured out on him. And he died the death that we should have died in order that we can have the life and the freedom and forgiveness of sins that only he could secure for us through his righteous life. And now he sends his people go into the furthest reaches of the world. Tell them of my saving grace and they will hate you as they hated me. But they will know through your death my love. I'm not playing fast and loose with you. I'm not sending you off to do the hard work that I don't want to do. You know, I, was, I, always, was hap I always was happy when my children reached a certain age because they got to a certain stage in life and some of you have little children now. This stage is coming. It's a glorious stage where you can say, hey, can you, get, can you get a drink for daddy in the, in the refrigerator? And they go run and they, they do that. And I let the children do the things I don't want to do. Well, after a while, I started to get used to that behavior. And then, and, but the children started to get aware. It's like, hey, daddy's not really asking me to do this because he likes me. He, he likes playing these games with me. He, makes, he, he does it because he's a lazy bum sitting in, that, sitting in that chair of his. So, but then I can just say, you know what? I'm still your dad. Go get me this. And they go, I'm not a... I'm not a cruel, ruthless father. Just every once in a while, you know, hey, there are unpleasant things in the house. I don't want to do them. I have five children. Go, one of you, do that unpleasant thing. That's not what God's doing with us. Oh, man, I don't want to, I don't want to put out the effort. The game's on. I'm busy. He's not playing with our lives. He looks at the world and he says, I love, I love this people. And right now, this people, there is no gospel witness there. So I'm going to take my servants from wherever they are in the globe and I'm going to send them here. I'm going to fully equip them, open the doors. Some of them though, they'll be the first to arrive to a people who have never heard from me and those people will react so violently they will kill my first servants. But it will be so that the next servants, they may still suffer and deal with opposition but maybe they won't be, not maybe, he knows, they won't be killed. These will die so that these will come with the message. I want the message to go to them. I know that when these die, they're secure with me. I, I won't, their death doesn't mean I've lost them. Their death means that, that, that uh, their time and their service has ended. I've called them to me. I've assigned them to this mission. They completed their end and now they're with me, secure for eternity. And I will return their body to them one day glorify it, transform it to where it will never again sin, it will never again taste death, and they'll be reunited with the body that was laid in the dirt, and they will dwell with me forever. But they go and, and give this their life in order that these hostile, alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds people can know the saving love of my, me and my son Jesus. So I send them to suffer so that the gospel will go forth. I send them so I can add many, many more sons and daughters. And so Paul rejoices that he suffers in that way. And that's what the messianic woes are about. This hostile world rising up, 
pushing back against the advancement of the gospel. Do you notice I use the word advancement? This isn't an even deal where two superpowers are just pushing at each other and they're sort of at this standstill. The gospel is advancing. Christ Jesus said, you know, you don't plunder a strong man's house unless you first bind the strong man. And I used to growing up think that, you know, uh, is Jesus the strong man and he needs to be bound, but he's saying that he can't be bound, so his house can't be plundered. No, what he's saying is that Satan is the strong man and he is bound. Christ in his first coming has bound him and now he is plundering his house. What is in his house? Those who are in opposition and in, in, in rebellion against God and Jesus is plundering them through gospel work. He is plundering them through the sending of his, his people to make disciples of all nations. S places where he is as strongholds, where people have traditionally and historically and over many generations and thousands of years have never bowed the knee to Christ. Jesus is sending his servants in. And they are suffering. They are experiencing hardship. But the result is that the gospel is going forward and advancing. Jesus said, the gates of hell cannot overcome the kingdom. And I, again, as a kid, I used to think of, you know, I thought, I used to imagine this marching army of, of uh, satanic demon things and they're coming and God's sheltering us. But actually it's the opposite that's true. God's people are advancing. Advancing with the gospel, not advancing with guns and swords, but with the good news of the, of, the save, of, of the saving work of Jesus. With humility and joy and peace, they go and they advance. And the strongholds of Satan, their gates, which are meant to keep, the, so the, the gates of hell, the gates that are meant to keep things out, God says they cannot, Jesus says they cannot prevail. The kingdom will advance and go into the strongholds and bring prisoners out. That is why we celebrate things, we, we do things like World Mission Sunday. That is why we are called every day to take up our cross and follow Him. For our cross may lead us, so our, some of us, our cross is to just live a Christian life day in, day out. Go to your jobs, live in your homes, meet with your friends and your family members. So, so holiday season, go to Thanksgiving dinner, go to Christmas, Christmas celebrations and dinners, go to, go to work every day, and live your life as a faithful, faithful believer, serving God with joy. And maybe people look at you a little sideways or they think, you know, it's a little, little crazy. He, she, he or she are a little crazy in their views. You know, I, I really like them, but maybe, maybe I've, I'm afraid they might be a little bigoted because of what they believe about this topic or that topic or... You know, uh, you know I, I can't really tell jokes I want to tell around them, and I kind of resent that. You, you, or when you share the gospel with someone, and they look at you like, listen, don't, don't get in my face with that business. Don't, don't bother me with that business. That doesn't, and, and, and you suffer in that way. Your relationships may not be as, with others may not be as strong as you would like or as, 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 as two-sided as you like because people who you are serving and loving and, and, and caring for and praying about and trying to evangelize maybe want nothing to do with you or think of you as a radical kook, a religious nut job who doesn't see the world rightly. Maybe that's how he calls you to suffer and just everyday faithfulness to God, denying yourself of, denying yourself of things that seem pleasurable but are actually sinful and unholy in order to pursue a righteous God-glorifying life and your thoughts strange and 
out of it as far as the people who surround you who are not inside of Christ or even within the church. Maybe some church people say, hey, listen, I'm all for Jesus, but whoa, that guy or that gal, whoa. And you feel alone in the world. Maybe that's what you're called to suffering. Paul says you can rejoice in that. Some he does call to go to the unknown places, maybe for a short time, maybe for just for a stint. You know, a, 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 just a, couple, a series of short-term uh, missionary, act, uh, missionary things where you go to the unknown and the uncomfortable in order, to, in order to, to advance the cause of Christ or to support those who are there long-term. Others you are called to go long-term, to spend your life, your entire days in service to the Lord, giving up everything that you know to go to somewhere that you are not that you have no idea about its customs, its, its culture, its language, and, and its people, but you know that you love God and you love the lost, and you're called to go. There's a whole spectrum that God will call you to. Some He will call us to martyrdom. He will call us to die for our faith. Others He will call us, which it might be harder to do, to live daily in faith. It's sometimes harder to live every day for Christ than it is to die once for Him sometimes harder to live every day for Christ than to die once for Him. But Paul says you can rejoice in these sufferings. For these sufferings we identify you as belonging to Christ. These sufferings are also filling up the measure. So the idea of filling up is this idea that there's a limit. You know, I... Um, we got a new Christmas tree yesterday, and it's a, it was a, it was a once a live tree has been cut down, so you know it's it's dying. And we but we we prolong its death by pouring water into the basin. Well, there's only so much water that can be filled. I don't just pour endlessly water in there, or it'll flood and ruin my flooring and my other things. And Lori would get mad at me. So there is a measure, a filling up measure. So there's only so much water that can be put into the basin uh, or into the tree stand that it rests in. So with our sufferings, Paul is filling up what is lacking in Christ. But there's a limit. There is a, there is a, a, there's a determined amount of suffering. Paul is playing his part. And we are, called to, we are called to suffer ourselves for Christ's sake. But there is a limit. And every bit of suffering that we enter into, every bit of suffering that we embrace for the cause of Christ, Will be, will, be, will be part of the, of the whole that is filled. And one day, God will say, that is enough. And He'll make all things new and His Son will return and bring an end to this present evil age. Well, maybe ask yourself, okay, I hear what you're saying. I see what Paul's saying. How do I get there? I wish there was like a practical Step one, first do this. Step two, do that. But it's, I don't think there are, there's, a, there's a pathway to this, or, or not a pathway, I don't mean that. Um, I don't think there's a, a recipe for this, that if everyone did it, we would all be a church full, if we all did it the same way, we would all be a church full of, uh, of people who have embraced the call to suffering and who are willing to live every day distinct Christian lives to the glory of God and embrace whatever hostility and suffering comes from that. But I do think that Jesus' um, 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 parable of the treasure in the field is, in, is in, in, instructive for us. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure 
buried in a field, a great treasure buried in a field, that when a man, when he found it, in his great joy, he returned home, he buried it again and returned home, sold everything that he had in order to purchase the field and the treasure found within it. And with that, what that parable teaches us is that what, what is the kingdom? What are the kingdom citizens like? They are like those who, when they perceive right, when they see this treasure, they realized in their heart, everything else that I may possess, everything is not worth this. This is of much greater value. This, it compels me to go back home and do everything I can to make sure I acquire this treasure. And in the ancient world, if you purchase a field, you purchased everything in the field, everything that was in it, everything that could be found in it. He knew the treasure was there. So he goes and buys the field. He sells everything. So obviously he couldn't afford the field with the resources that he had. He had to go back and sell so that, or the resources he had on hand, the cash he had on hand, he had to sell everything in order to have enough cash Get rid of all that I presently know in order to gain this. Well, that's instructive. We will not rejoice in suffering. We will not even embrace suffering if we do not hold Christ as more valuable than our own lives. Because what is suffering? It's a, it's a, it's a threat to our well-being and our, and our lives and our comforts. And if we treasure those things above Christ, we will not willingly and gladly go through the suffering that he calls all of us to go through. That is, the, that is the means by which he is advancing his kingdom. He is bringing his gospel to bear on the whole face of the earth. That he's also the means of which he is bringing the end, the glorious end that we are hoping for, that glorious end which is an eternity with God as his people and our God. That is, that is the hope of of the people of God is to be with him forever in a state of sinlessness and in constant fellowship. So how do we get there? Well, Paul and Jesus indicate that it's through our suffering. Not that our suffering opens the door, but that the path includes suffering. Here's the road. Here's the narrow, the straight and narrow. But the straight and narrow is filled with Dangers, sorrows, pains, hardship, disappointment, abandonment, isolation, whatever you can name. And if you walk that straight and narrow, you will suffer. And the question becomes, will you suffer willingly, gladly, and joyfully for Christ? How do you get there? First, you must treasure Christ beyond anything else. How does that happen? One way, think about your sin. We're about to come to the Lord's table. The bread represents his broken body for you. A body that was never used to sin. A body that was never used for indulgence or in, in, in any kind of licentiousness. It was wholly given unto God in complete, utter faithfulness broken for you. Now think about your own life, every lie you've ever told, everything you've ever done with your body that, was, that is 
displeasing and dishonoring to God, whether it be sexual sin or violence against another person, whether it was to use your body to steal or to conceal or to oppress or to whatever. Whatever your body could have done, Christ took His in your place and gave it and it was broken for you, though you have sinned. You come to the cup and you think about the cup. It was His spilt blood, His precious blood, the, the blood of a, of, a, of a person given wholly to God in all faithfulness and obedience and worship and sincerity and, and, and righteousness spilled out. He died. Death For the wages of sin is death, but Jesus had no sin of His own and yet He still died. He paid wages that we earned through our sin. He paid his wages for our sin in order to make us righteous in the sight of his Father. If you don't first see sin as ugly as it is and the righteousness of Christ as beautiful as it is, you will not treasure Jesus as you ought. In Luke 7, the woman who, who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried them with her hair Jesus said to the, to the man whose home it was in, he, she said, he said to her, you see her? You haven't even offered me the basic courtesy of giving me something to wash with. She has been washing my feet with her hair. She has been forgiven much and she loves much. If you knew and understand the depths of your wickedness and your sin, you would treasure Christ and the gospel so much more than you do and I do. And then suffering will be something we will be more willing to go through for the cause of Christ that we can even rejoice in because Christ is our treasure. So let me conclude, my brothers and sisters, by saying this. The Christian walk is not one of comfort and ease. It never has been and never will be. There will be times of great joy, times of gladness. I'm not saying it's all going to just be, hey, y'all, just, you're just going to be beat to death and, and then it's over. But it will be hard and full of sorrow, disappointment, and hurt, pain. Sometimes physical pain. Sometimes and often emotional pain. Spiritual pain. We are called to it. Not because God does not take our lives as precious, but precisely because He values the life of the lost that He seeks to save. And He sends you His servants, whom He has redeemed by His own blood, to go in His name to those whom He loves, bring the message to them and He will keep us and hold us. And even if He calls us to give our lives, we will forfeit nothing. We will forfeit nothing and lose nothing ultimately. That either will not be given back in full or kept and preserved by His grace. So Lord Jesus calls us to suffer. Christian walk will be hard. My brothers and sisters, treasure Christ. Embrace the hard road and see how he uses a, a, a small church, but a small church whose membership from top to bottom embrace the call to suffering and hardship. Rejoice in them, rejoice in that suffering for the sake of the body, which, uh, the, which is the church, for the sake of those who are presently lost and without hope in the world, that we would go and shine as light in the darkness.
And this is what Paul means when he says, I rejoice in my suffering, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Let us, be, let us all embrace that call. And every one of us resolve, let us do our part to fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. And finally, to those who are outside of Christ who are here, if you heard this word, you maybe think, this is a strange religion. People need to suffer. That doesn't make any sense. To you, I say, this call to suffering is Christ's way of showing He loves you. For just as He intimately identified with, with His church when Paul was persecuting them, why are you persecuting me is what He says. Their suffering is His suffering in that sense. He says to you, I am sending them into affliction so that you would know the depths of my love. I myself came and suffered in their place and in the place of all who place their faith and trust in Him. I suffered in their place so they would have forgiveness of sins and mercy. And I've done that for all who believe, including you. Believe on Him. Repent of your sins. See the glory and the goodness of the mercy of God. And be saved. Trust in Him. Repent of your sins and believe on His gospel.